The Taliban finally established an extremely caring, caretaking government that is filled with the world's top experts on terror. And lo and behold, uncovered in America by the progressive left and the Democrats. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, they have uncovered the ugly face of the American Taliban. Yes, the Republican Party and conservatives who are against the killing of innocent babies, revealing and unmasking them for the monsters that they are. Behold, the American Taliban. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 255, coming to you from the past of September 8th, 2021. I apologize. I'm a day late and a dollar short. We missed Sundays or Mondays episode this week due, uh, due to a personal emergency, but uh, we're back, and inshallah, Lord willing, uh, we'll be right back on our normal twice-a-week schedule. Now, welcome to the show, All Things Afghanistan. That's what it seems the show has really turned into. But today, we break a little bit in the late latter half of the show away from the intense and ever-growing action in Afghanistan to cover some things that are happening outside. Uh, uh, I got a memo the other day <laughs> that there's still a world outside of Afghanistan, even though it seems to have encompassed um, everything that's happening right now. Is it really, it is the, the biggest geopolitical shifting that has happened in decades. The, the, the landscape of the globe will dynamically change moving forward over the next 50 years. This will be a defining moment of the next 50 years, and therefore it is worth covering. And yes, as I said, in the later half of the show, we are going to cover the maniacal, the evil, evil conservative party in America. You all should be afraid, especially if you're one, you might finally have an, you're, this might be an awakening moment, an awakening moment for you to understand who you really are truly on the inside. Hopefully, we can all wake up at the evil that is out there in the conservative party who are trying to save babies' lives. You know, those innocent babies who haven't done anything, their own heartbeat, their own DNA, in what should be the safest place in the world, a mother's womb. Those evil Republicans, conservatives, they are the American Taliban. We're going to hit that in the later half of the show. But before now and then, hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your husbands, because it is an unsafe world out there. Speaking of unsafe, well, in Afghanistan, there was one last stronghold, and it really could be still one last stronghold in a province in Panjir, province of Afghanistan. It's about 125 kilometers or 78 miles north of Kabul, the capital, where there is were uh, a, a resistance force, the National Resistance Front, which is led by Masood, who is the son of the famous anti-Soviet, anti-Taliban commander Ahmed Masood, who was assassinated September 9th, 2001, two days before 9-11. Well, his son has lifted up the flag and is carrying the, the final resistance uh, in Afghanistan. And really, it's not because there's still the majority of the Afghan people are against the Taliban. There are protests filling the streets this week in Afghanistan, people shouting death to the Taliban, long live the resistance, a bold, bold moves, bold people who are desperate to save their nation. These lies that are being touted around that, well, the, no, the Afghan people just didn't want to fight for themselves as they have been giving about 40 people a day for the last number of years in fighting for their country. Well, that last stronghold was essentially shut down. The, the Taliban tried to negotiate a, a peace deal with them. Uh, but as it came down to it, they, they shut off the power to the province. They turned off the, the telecom sy systems to the province and the Taliban marched in. Now, the Taliban has claimed victory that they finally have all the provinces, even though the National Resistance Front, 
who are fighting the Taliban, they have said, no, actually, we're still here. We're still resisting. We have fled into the, the mountains and the valleys uh, away from the main cities, and we're still going to front a resistance against the Taliban. But in the celebration, the celebration of, of the Taliban sweeping, finally having the last standing province against them, they, their men shot their rifles into the sky for a good 10, 15 minutes in celebration, resulting in multiple deaths. Those, you know, what comes up must come down. There, there actually is some laws of physics and science still out there, uh, believe it or not. Science does exist. And what comes up comes down, and it came down on a number of people. I've heard numbers as low as two people died, as high as 17 people died, with dozens more injured. Um, I'm sure it's somewhere between that range. But this is the, this is the, the brave, new, peaceful Afghanistan that the, the Taliban uh, boasts, the boasts about. Well, this is the first clip that we have is the Taliban spoke, spokesman, spokesperson, right? It's a spokesperson. He hasn't, he, they, them, she, him, ho, ho, they haven't identified their pronouns on Twitter yet. So, um, uh, you know, the, the spokesperson, not the spokesman, is speaking about the 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 new and brave new world of Afghanistan. When our delegations went there, they received negative answers and they couldn't resolve matters through negotiations and dialogue. So the Islamic Emirate decided to send military forces to get rid of this violent nest of terrorism. <laughs> we want a violent, violent nest of terrorism. It's that is like, man, the the, the language is so rich that the resistance force to a terrorist group uh, who, who wants to see a truly inclusive government, a government that allows women to work, that allows women to be in sports, because uh, newsflash, breaking newsflash, uh, the Taliban, they, they've established a government finally. Well, they have now banned women from playing sports. So, but, you know, of course, the National Resistance Front, they are the, the, the nest of terrorism. This violent nest of terrorism. We want a peaceful country. And if anybody causes problems or causes insecurity anywhere in Afghanistan, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan will make a decision and not allow anyone to congregate and act against our government. I love that. We, we want a peaceful nation. We are, we, are, we are aiming for a peaceful Afghanistan. And if anyone opposes us, we are going to crush you. We are going to make sure you cannot gather. This is how you, this is how you have a peaceful nation, folks. In fact, it's, this isn't new. Look, it's happening all across the world. Australia, New Zealand. We, you know, we want a peaceful nation filled with healthy people. Paris, we want a peaceful nation filled with healthy people. And uh, by the way, if you disagree with what your democratic nation is doing, we will beat you down. We'll beat you down and lock you up into your houses because you know what? We want a peaceful nation. That is, that is one way to have a peaceful nation. And, and this is the, the governmental system that they're really looking to establish is very similar to what is currently in Iran. There's about 90% of the people who oppose the 10% of who are in power in Iran and they run a dictatorship. They say, this is what goes. And if you resist us, if you are against us, you know, Masalama, peace out. All you know, you're done for. But this is the idea of the the inclusive government. It's you are either a hundred percent along this party line, or we're going to squash you and label you the terrorist organization. Um, brilliant. It's a, just brilliant. Well, here is Franz Marty uh, from DW who is commenting on the resistance in the Panjshir province and how the resistance is still active. What the resistance front is apparently saying is that uh, their fighters are still in the mountain and uh, that they might uh, launch counterattacks. Uh, one spokesman for the resistance has also referred to um, the Soviet occupation, where the Red Army several times also went into the Panjshir Valley, 
took the villages, but was then again driven out by um, guerrilla counterattacks. Um, how far this will be possible this time is hard to tell, because compared to um, previous resistances in the past, now the, the resistance fighters don't have like open supply lines. Uh, so if they're in the mountains, uh, they seem to be cut off, which of course makes their uh, position very difficult. So they're, they're in the mountains, they're planning on, on and still resisting and fighting. Will it last? Uh, time will tell. The greater question is, will the government that has been set into place, which is being called a care, caretaker government, will that last? And we've mentioned it many times on the show. They're, within the Taliban, it is comprised and, and Frankensteined together of uh, uh, multiple different militant factions and they've finally put together some sort of cabinet how long this intermediary or caretaking government will last we don't know no one really knows but with the collapse of the economic system with the collapse of the financial system with very few governments willing to send aid or partner or identify or recognize the Taliban government as it's filled with uh, terrorists, literal pe people who are on the UN terrorist watch list, the, the no-fly list, people who have $5 million bounties on their head, will there be enough cohesiveness to maintain a government for a period of time? Or as the winter comes, as the malnutrition and the, the economic woes most likely increase, will we begin to see an infighting between the different militant groups who are vying to have power and really have a different view of what sort of uh, system or government that Afghanistan should have, especially when it comes to women and religious minorities. Well, here, here's some of the key positions that the Taliban announced. They, they announced on a press conference on Tuesday the names of several acting ministers and by, of the new caretaker government led by Mohammed Ahud. Now, he is the acting prime minister. The acting prime minister is on the UN terror list as well as the new acting minister of interior, which is the Haqqani, who is on the U.S. most wanted list with a $5 million bounty on his head. Also, Bardar, the, the uh, co-founder of the Taliban, is the deputy prime minister who served eight years in prison in Pakistan. This is the, the entire old guard of the Taliban is back in power. The boys are back in town. And, of course, they've promised that their ways have changed. But today they announced that women are barred from sports. So how much have their ways changed? Mm. Well, here's a clip from DW uh, talking about the new government and how they are on the terror watch list and what that really all means for Afghanistan. Well, right. And mo most of these men, and they're all men, um, the one thing that they did do is that they did include Tajiks and Turkmens and, and non-Pashtuns within their government. Which is an improvement. You know, the Tajiks make up about 25 to 30 percent of, of the population there. Uh, so I'm very surprised that they have people that are not all Pashtun in their government system. But of course, you know, there are no women. The, the fact that anyone thought that they would include that, uh, you'd be mistaken. He goes on. Uh, yes, most of these men uh, are on some kind of a terrorist list or some kind of a UN uh, travel sanction list. So it will be interesting to see how the rest of the world engages with them. It will be interesting to see how the rest of the world engages with them. The end of the clip got cut off. I, I wonder, though, do Will the Taliban really need that much engagement from the rest of the world? I already read one headline saying that Turkish airlines will begin flying to Kabul starting October 1st, which is good news for everyone who wants to get out. Mm, but will the West continue to, to play ball? I'm actually going to cut to uh, uh, what's happening right now. 
with uh, there's about six or seven charter flights in Mazar Sharif that have been sitting on the ground. There are people who are booked on these flight manifests, and the the U.S. has been accused of blocking these flights from leaving. And other people have accused the Taliban of blocking these flights with hundreds, if not over a thousand people, hoping to get on these flights to exit the country, including American citizens. Well, the there's two different narratives. One, that the U.S. and the Taliban are negotiating to figure out the terms of letting these planes fly. Some are saying, well, it's the Taliban that are holding these planes back because they want to use this as leverage so that they can get recognized by the U.S. government, so that they can get the money that the U.S. government holds over a billion dollars in treasuries that the U.S. government holds of Afghanistan back to them. They, they need and they want financial recognition by the globe. And on the same side, people are blaming the Biden administration, saying, you just don't want to look bad by having stopped flights. And so you're the one in these negotiations that are stopping, that are stopping the, the flights from taking place. Well, here's Jen Psaki uh, commenting on just this. Uh, we don't, do not have personnel on the ground, nor do we have air assets in the country, to, and we don't control the airspace. Uh, so anyone who's suggesting we are preventing these flights, that's not accurate. We, don't, we couldn't prevent a charter flight from taking off. But what is important for people to understand is where we have some concern. In other words, we're not preventing a, a charter flight from taking off. Besh, she'll go into it. We are preventing a charter flight from landing. Here she goes. And that is the fact that uh, we, are, we do not have reliable means to confirm the basic details of charter flights, including who may be organizing them, the number of American citizens, and other priorities groups on board, the accuracy of the rest of the manifest and where the plane may land, what security protocols are taking in, they're taking into place. So just to kind of give you an example here, these charter flights are landing on U.S. military bases. And we have to be very careful, and I think it's understandable we have concern about flights that where we don't have that level of information and understanding about the manifests, what the protocols are that are taking, that are underway. There's also a question, there are active, there continue to be active ISIS-K threats. And there's also a question of where these flights go, where they land. We know ISIS-K has a keen interest in attacks against aviation targets and our personnel on the ground in our Air Force, in our military bases. And these are among the risks that we take into account. I think honestly, I think these are all f pretty fair points that she's making. A, a lot of fair points. You don't want a, a plane going down filled with people. Y you want to make sure that these planes are taking off safely, that the people on the manifest are taking off safely, that there's security, ensuring that the, the planes are not going to be shot down in Afghanistan airspace. All these things need to be negotiated out. And at the same... so. I can see how the Biden administration is taking blame for this. I think some of their points are actually quite valid. They do need to sort some of these things out. And those negotiations are taking place with the Taliban. And I also can see how the Taliban, man, I would use this as leverage. I would say, hey, you got, man, you got so many people that you left behind. Wow, that's a real bummer. So much for no man left behind. Well, you got hundreds of them. Uh, hey, let's work a deal, Mr. President Biden. Let's work a deal to get these people out. Maybe just recognize us and uh, let us have access to the financial, global financial system and markets. Um, lift some trade. You know, we'll, we'll compromise a little bit to let your people out that are being held hostage in Afghanistan right now as the land borders are closed. Most land borders are closed. I, I mean, there was a, a, a suicide attack on the Pakistan side of the Afghan-Pakistan border, which caused most of those to shut down. People who are, are working to flee into Iran, they're getting, uh, reports are coming in that they're getting indiscriminately shot at as people are trying to cross over these mountains entering into Iran. Uh, the, the Tajikistan border closed for a holiday. Uh, Uzbekistan border very close, not letting people in unless they have visas or they're Uzbeks, from what I, when I gather. So there's really not a whole lot of options. I, if, I was, if I was either side, if I was 
especially the Taliban, I would be making sure I'm leveraging this thing to no end to get what I need on as recognition on the global scale. Well, do they need that? That's the real question. How much recognition do they need from organizations like the UN or the West or the quote-unquote international community? Well, Christine Fair was on WION, the World is One News, uh, Indian news source. Uh, they're pretty spicy. I, I kind of like them. Uh, she was on, on talking about actually the Taliban do not need, they do not need international recognition. Here is why. It's whether or not Western countries acknowledge the Taliban is irrelevant. It has what it needs from the four embassies that are open in Kabul. And that is, of course, China. China! Who, who has been saying China from the very beginning of this? Yes, that's right. I and a whole bunch of other people, we've been saying China. I don't, I'm definitely not the only one. China. Who's, who's the geopolitical win in all of this? Definitely China. Russia, Pakistan, and Iran. And, and Russia and Pakistan and Iran. These are the all one in this. It's, you know, here again, down conspiracy lane. Here's down conspiracy lane. There is plenty of information out there of Hunter Biden. Joe Biden's son receiving money, millions of dollars from the Chinese government. Whose pocket does that go in line? And then all of a sudden, China is being handed Afghanistan and potentially the U.S. airbase on a silver platter. I mean, makes sense to me. Okay, this clip goes on. And I pointed out that the Chinese have had a longstanding working relationship mm -hmm. with the Taliban pre 9-11. It talked about the different um, in, um, investment projects that the Chinese did for the Taliban before 9-11 and the commitments to do the same now. And the host uh, tried to shut me down. He says, well, of course. She was on Bloomberg and Bloomberg essentially rebutted her saying, oh, well, that's a, that's conspiracy. That's not true. That's just your opinion. She goes on. That's your opinion. I said, no, these are facts. I can send you the, the documentation that I have used to inform my opinion. And he continued to call it an opinion. And I said, sir, it's a fact. I, I'm not going to have you tell me that, that this is an opinion. These are facts. The Taliban had a deal with the Chinese pre 9-11. The Taliban have been negotiating with the Chinese. I, that you don't know this is astonishing to me, but this is a fact. China comes out ahead in this whole thing. There are reports that they're going to start mining operations in Afghanistan, getting $1 to $3 trillion worth of raw and rare earth minerals out of the ground. Reports are coming in that they're planning on taking over uh, the, the big U.S. Air Force base there. Great geopolitical positioning. High five, China. Uh, I mean, brilliant. I mean, really. You you have to give kudos and and credit where credits due, like brilliant, the brilliant play. Uh, they they're promising to come in and rebuild infrastructure to to help rebuild Afghanistan, and and China's doing this all over the place with their Belt and Road Initiative. They're buying up ports. They're buying up uh, countries' debt. They're buying up uh, oil reserves especially now with this whole this whole collapse because of uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic, people are needing governments across the globe. They're needing money. Who are they turning to? China. China, China, China. Do, does Afghanistan even need the West? Or can they just align with their current allies of Pakistan, who Pakistan were sending... Blackhawks sending helicopters in to fight in the Panjshir Valley with the Taliban. They're aligned with Iran. Reports are that the, the, the Taliban were sending U.S. military equipment and Humvees that were left behind in Afghanistan, sending them all down to Iran, trucks and trucks full. 
down to Iran, supplying the Iranian army. There's an ally, Russia. They have their embassy open, which is being guarded by the Taliban and China, all just swooping in. Brilliant geopolitical positioning. Hat is off. Just amazing. Well, who's who's running this government back all the way back, kind of full circle back to the new quote-unquote, caretaker government that's been put in place. Yes, terrorists. Here's a continued clip from DW talking about the Haqqani network, who they are, what that means, uh, and what we might, what we are already seeing, not just what might we see, but what we're already seeing when it comes to the true last resistance, not just a, a, a valley somewhere, but the people who are saying we are going to stand up and fight for our country. We will not go down in silence. The world is accusing us of not willing, being willing to fight for our country, but we are going to take to the streets and actually fight for a real, a real civil rights, a real civil rights, not, not make, not make believe. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking on that point before I get myself in trouble. Here's this clip. He's the leader of the Qani network, uh, which is considered and this leader is uh, Sajahadeen, gosh, Haqqani, who is the Minister of the Interior for Afghanistan, who's the leader of the Haqqani network with a $5 million bounty on his head. To be the most violent and brutal segment of the Taliban, usually in the past when there were really horrific suicide attacks and other kinds of attacks, when the government would release its findings, the former government, they would say that it was the Haqqani network behind them. And the Haqqani men have been known to be the most fierce, the most brutal, the most violent uh, faction within the Taliban all this time. And him being the interior minister will raise a lot of questions, especially now that protests are picking up around the country. This is so encouraging. I love, man, I just love this inclusive government that has been set up. They've, they've really included people from all walks of life, uh, people who will keep the country safe from, from violent but mostly peaceful protests. The, the difference, though, the difference between their protests and protests that we have seen uh, recently in the West, these protests that we're seeing in Afghanistan there's not looting. They're not burning down buildings. Man. Okay, well, Christine Fair comes, comes back to on, on another network, another channel, speaking to, you know, when you ask, how did all of this happen? How did, how did we get here? How did the, the Afghan government fall so fast? How, how, how did America spend $2 trillion? And where did it all go? Oh, the Afghan government is just so corrupt. It was always doomed to fail because of them. But really, Christine Fair, and she points the finger where the fingers do, points it all the way back to America, setting up a system that was doomed to fail, a system that was easily able to be manipulated and controlled. This yeah. is not a system that would ever produce a consensus leader. And this isn't the Afghans' fault. This is the, the situation that the Americans foisted upon them because we wanted a system where we could control the Afghan government. And I'm just going to say in passing, the other story that gets told repeatedly to Americans is that we've spent $2.3 trillion and the Afghans are so corrupt. Well, newsflash, the vast majority of that $2.3 trillion came back to the United States economy in contractor fees. Absolutely. And this corruption that has become so popularized is a narrative for our cutting and running. The Americans themselves built this corruption into the system. Again, we did this because we wanted, it's for the same reason that corruption exists in the Indian political system. You want or to be able system. to- Or any system, right? Oh, the, well, yeah. for any system, right? In our system, it's it's regularized through through lobbyists, right? Yeah. So, but we, we took advantage of the situation and we build it. And for President Biden to then turn around and say, the Afghans aren't standing up. The Afghans have to do this. When we gave them tools that were precisely intended to produce these outcomes is beyond acceptable to me. And that's, man, she just hit the nail on the head. That's so true. 
that th- this system that was put in place, whether it's from the way that our military works and their military, where we, you know, we, we denied air support to them, and that's how they learned how to fight. That's how they were trained, or, or their government system. The fact that it all fell apart when we pulled out should have been no surprise, and it is America to blame. I, I really believe that, that this, whether it's go back many years and, re, and, and do it completely differently or not do it at all, or whether it was to pull out in a completely different way, to establish a different system where, where there could be consensus, where there could be a government that wasn't totally split and torn so that they could hold on to their 20 years of, of progress that they made for minorities, religious minorities, and women and children that have now been fully lost. But don't worry, American diplomacy will, will save the day. We don't know how, but that's what, that's what we're being told. Well, there have been protests this whole, this whole week uh, in uh, Kabul, and uh, the, here's DW again with Ali Latifi, uh, talking just about these these protests that have been taking place. So there were several protests in the city today. Some had, you know, a few dozen, some had a few hundred. And in the larger ones, and the ones that 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 numbered in the hundreds, possibly in, in you know more than a thousand, uh, we saw that the Taliban were very much shooting into the air, were uh, you know trying to disperse their crowds, the crowds in violent and uh, aggressive manners. Um, you know, people I spoke to said that they had uh, that they had suffered injuries or they knew people that had suffered injuries and that they had taken injured people to the hospital. Um, but everyone I spoke to said that they will continue to hold these protests and that they will not be silenced because they want to make sure that their voices are heard, especially at this time, even with the Taliban increasing all of this pressure. And as I said early, the prospect of Sarajuddin Haqqani, uh, you know, being the interior minister, which would put him in charge of reacting to these sorts of things. There is Sarajuddin, that's the name I was trying to say before. Uh, as Ali was saying, Sarajuddin uh, from the Haqqani network, he's the one that's in charge of the Ministry of Interior. He's the one that is going to be dealing with these uprisings and these protests. And we already heard in the very first clip that we played, how are they going to deal with it? They're going to deal with it by shutting them down, by squashing them, that any resistance will be totally squashed because we want a peaceful nation. And if you can't do that through, if you can't do that through wise governance and just governance to lead a nation with righteous laws, with equity for an equality for people, if you can't do it that way, then the only other way to do it is by force, is by labeling any sort of resistance as a terrorist organization by labeling people who are are protesting for the right for young girls to go to school and women to be able to go to work or women to be able to play sports that is being squashed and crushed the 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 spokesperson even said this week any resistance will be crushed and don't protest don't go out and protest. Stay home. Stay home. Well, you know what? Don't worry. Don't worry about all this stuff that's happening in Afghanistan because there is a greater threat that is, is terrorizing, that's terrorizing people in America. It is, is a much more present threat that you and I should all be aware of. In Don't go away. Here is our our next segment. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we have exchanged the truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. And this one, I just love it. I love, I love the absurdity that is coming out of the progressive left. There is nothing that makes my jaw drop to the ground more then some of the things that they espouse, and the thing that they're espousing right now is that uh, the, the conservative right, the Republicans, the GOP in America, MAGA, Trump, and company, 
They are the Taliban. They are the American Taliban, the Texas Taliban. Why? Because Texas passed a law saying that if you are six weeks pregnant and the doctor detects a heartbeat in your baby, that you are not allowed to get an abortion in the state of Texas. And that if someone catches wind that you are planning to go to another state, you're a resident of Texas trying to go to another state to get an abortion, you can report that to the state government as it's breaking the law, as it's murdering a life in the womb, an innocent life in the womb. Now, of course, the narrative, it's, it's her body, her choice, my body, my choice. The, the problem is that there are two people who walk into an abortion clinic, two heartbeats that walk into an abortion clinic, two sets of DNA that walk into an abortion clinic, and only one walks out. So it's not her body, her choice. It is a, it, there's two people that are involved in that procedure. Now, of course, the, the arguments come in of rape and incest, which, which is only about one, less than 1% of abortions in America are for that, or the, the medical, oh, medical, medical reasons. Well, when there is a medical procedure doing, being done, it's not an abortion that's just trying to rid a baby from the mother's womb, but the doctor is going in with the hopes and the attempts to save both lives, the lives of the mother and the life of the baby. Both lives are trying to be saved. That is not an abortion. That is trying to do good, trying to save both lives. And oftentimes, sadly, the baby loses its life in that situation. And that is a hard choice for a mother to have to take. But in those, in those instances, that's not even considered a, a quote-unquote abortion. That is, the doctor is attempting to save both the baby and the mother, and if they can do that, they will. Well, the rhetoric that is coming out of America, the, the progressive lefts, they are just raging. They're, they're seething with uh, rage and anger. And of course, the, the, the MAGA conservative right is now the Taliban. They are, they are the equivalents of the Taliban because they are trying to defend and protect the lives of innocent babies in the womb. Here is Whoopi Goldberg from The View, this clip, oh my goodness, this, this, stop driving, if you're driving right now, stop driving, pull over the car as you listen to this clip, because you might pass out after listening to it, and I don't want to cause an accident on the freeway. Here is The View. Is SCOTUS going to be responsible for these babies when these people have these children? What happens when they are, are perhaps, God forbid, murdered by their parents? <laughs> wait, wait. Did you catch what she just said? So she says, is SCOTUS, which is the Supreme Court, which this bill in Texas went all the way up to the highest court in America, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, nope, this, we're not going to deal with this, this uh, bill. It stands. A heartbeat is human life. We're not going to mess with it. Here's Whoopi saying, what happens if, God forbid, these people who then have these babies murder their babies? Here it is again. People have these children. What happens when they are, are perhaps, God forbid, murdered by their parents? <laughs> Whose responsibility? <laughs> what happens when they're perhaps murdered by their parents? So what's the solution? Ah, you know what? That's right. The solution is let's murder those babies in the mother's womb. That's the solution. Yeah, we, we shouldn't let these kids be born because maybe they're going to be then murdered by their parents. So we're going to murder the kids anyways. The, the logic, the irony, uh, the fact that that came out of the mouth, <laughs> the iron, the deep irony was, I guess, lost on her or the, the panel of women or the audience is beyond me. But this is what this is. And this is a classic play, the classic playbook of of essentially postmodernism, Marxism, uh, communism, socialism. It's it's the it's a classic playbook. And I guess other people can utilize it, too, which is you accuse your opponent of the very thing that you're doing. So right here, Whoopi accused, accused the Supreme Court, 
and MAGA and all these people of causing children to die because their parents decided to kill them. When that's lit, like, by definition, the very thing that they are, are doing. They are saying that they want parents to have the legal right to kill their babies in the womb. They want parents to have the legal right to kill another human. This is their enshrined right by the Constitution. That, that women should have the ability to kill their, their, a human being in their womb. And then they go and say, ah, this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to kill children. This is how, this is, I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant argument. Well, Whoopi goes on to uh, more brilliancy, if that's a word. Well, you know, they're worried about the Taliban and the Taliban women. Worry about the Taliban in America. Because yeah, that's you. what these guys are real. Well, yeah. There it is. Worry about the, this, I guess it's not Whoopi, it's her co-host, co-host. Well, Here it is. They're worried about the Taliban and the Taliban women. Worry they're worried about the Taliban and the Taliban women. Again, they're, they're covering up. They're trying to sweep what's happening in Afghanistan where, where there's actual danger, where women's rights are actually being infringed upon, where women are no longer able to play in sports, where, where young girls are not allowed to go to school in some provinces already. And they're saying, don't worry, don't worry about the Taliban, and the, the women in Afghanistan because you have a bigger problem. Here it is again. Listen closely. You know, they're worried about the Taliban and the Taliban women. Worry about the Taliban in America because yeah, that's you. what these guys are real. Well, yeah. Worry about the Taliban in America because that's, that's what these guys are. That's what these guys are. They're, they're the real Taliban in America. That's what we should be worried about. And what, what really makes, I think, makes this deeply, even more deeply ironic, is when you weave in this whole trans narrative that is being pushed by this, probably this panel, by the progressive left, that men can be women. And so here's the Taliban actually saying women are not allowed to compete in sports. While at the same time, the progressive left is saying men are allowed to compete in women's sports. And what we're seeing as that happens is pushing women out of women's sports. It, it is like the opposite side of the same coin. Well, Jim Acosta from CNN also really loves this Taliban narrative because, of course, you know, those conservatives, you know, they're, they're violent activists that are, are destroying America, not, not Antifa, who are, are burning down Portland week after week, not not the mo the violent but mostly peaceful protests that burned down two billion dollars worth of in infrastructure in 2020. Not them, of course not. But it's the the conservatives who are who just want babies to be able to live to to have a life. Well, here's Jim Acosta. What will we tell the Afghan refugees who just fled those schools for girls back in their home country? I guess the girls here will have to fill them in. Unfortunately, what we will tell them is that some members of the far right in this country have apparently decided they will resort to intimidation and in some cases even violence to get what they want. And they could sweep into power faster than the experts thought possible. Sound familiar? <laughs> sort of like an American Taliban. It is yes, it, it, that it's that's exactly what it is. Uh, now my eyes have been open. I finally see the light. They they're the same. Those darn Republicans, those those people who want to keep what they make and want to make sure that babies aren't being killed in the womb. They are they are repressing the rights of, of women and children everywhere. Well, a reporter asked Jen Psaki on Biden's stance, because Biden is a well-known Catholic, and we, maybe you don't know, but Catholicism has a very hard-line stance against abortion. It's a sin. A, a baby's life is a life, and taking that life in an abortion is taking a human life. And I know Islam agrees on this as well. 
Christianity agrees on this as well. Well, here's Biden, a sworn Catholic, weighing in on this, and Jen Psaki standing up for Biden. Why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. A woman's right, a woman's body, and it's her choice. As we said earlier in this segment, it is, is it a woman's right to be able to take the life of another human being? Absolutely not. Is it a woman's body that undergoes the procedure of an abortion? Absolutely not. There's two heartbeats that go in and one heartbeat that goes out. It is not her body. It is not her choice. If this clip goes on. Why does the president, who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've... It's up to a woman to make those decisions and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. In other words, men should stay out of... This is the argument. Men should stay out of this argument. We've had this on the show where we've been, I've been talking about this with a guest. And the guest said, well, I just really wish that there was a woman here right now to give her point of view. And my response was, well, I just wish that there was a baby that lost its life in its mother's womb to be here right now to give their point of view, to give their point of view on it. Because that is the victim in an abortion. It is the unborn baby. But here is Jen Psaki, Going against the, the progressive rhetoric, I'm pretty sure she should be canceled for this because, my word. Uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected. Remember, remember, though, and this has been floating around everywhere, so it's not original to me, but uh, women, or well, men, men can menstruate and men can give birth. Did we, for, did we so quickly forget? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that we need to remember this, that actually now it is a, a man's decision. It really should be up to men as well because men can now give birth. So it's not just a women's only. If you're in that women's only camp, it's not because now, well, men can give birth too. That only makes sense. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a value for value podcast. If you get value out of this show, consider giving value back to the show in the very measure that you feel you get value out of it, whether it's $1 or whether it's $100 for listening to an episode. Consider supporting the show. Thousands of people come and listen to the show every month to help them see the, the lay of the land so that they can navigate their life, their world, through the snares and traps that are being propped up against us. And as we do that, we are able to live and walk out our purpose, and that enables us to own the future. So you can give by visiting lucascrobot.com. That's L-U-C-A-S-S-K-R-O-B-O-T-S-K, robot. Or you can give by listening on a certified podcast 2.0 app like breeze or sphinx or Podfriend, and you can load up your bitcoin wallet and stream ones and two satoshis as you listen don't go away we will be right back with our closing weaver and loom segment Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today's quote comes from comes from G.K. Chesterton, and he writes, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. So often we use this word hope so flippantly. Ah, I hope, I hope, the, I hope it doesn't rain today. When it's, it has a great chance of not raining today. I hope the, the, the bus or the train's on time. We use these, this word hope so flippantly 
But real hope that strengthens and encourages our life, that causes us to press on, comes when we are able to see what is not seen in the natural realm. When we are able to look past what we can see in the natural realm and understand in the natural realm, and we can see with our spiritual eyes, with, with faith into the spirit realm, and we can say, I see something that doesn't exist. I see something that's not made manifest around me. I see something that no other man or woman, because you know we have to make sure to include everyone, that no other man or woman can see or persons can see. I see something. It, it's not possible, but I'm believing for something that is impossible. And hope is when we stand up and we look into the distance and we believe for something that, that is totally impossible. And that's what we're seeing so many people have right now in Afghanistan. They're standing up and they are believing for something that seems to be completely impossible, where there is no hope. The situations are hopeless, but they are believing. They are believing with eyes of faith. They're believing for a different reality, a different possibility for their nation, for their children, for their lives. And maybe you, just like I, there are situations that feel impossible in our life, that where everything is, is saying otherwise, every metric, every data, every data point is telling us otherwise. We can still live in a manner full of hope by seeing with our, the eyes of our heart rather than seeing with the eyes of our, our head and seeing what could be in the spirit rather than seeing what is in the natural. So this week, go out and see with the eyes of your heart and live and walk in hope, in hope, because that hope is not just a mere platitude, but is something that can strengthen and encourage you. And it's when we see with the eyes of our heart that we really see the lay of the land, that is the way that we can uncover our purpose, and that is how we truly own our futures.